Hey guys, it is Sam Pitt, Danny here. I am uh, really looking forward to today's Barrels in Business podcast with the incredible Jay Green, exit stage left. And uh, in the back there, brewing today's refreshments is Mr. Glenn Casey, the um, exiled Mexican who's uh, <laughs> from the uh, the lands of Torquay, but now making his home in the beautiful Lennox Head hinterland, which is where we've set up this campsite. Big thanks to Yeti for their campsite equipment. Um, and uh, we will be joined by uh, Ruby today as well. Who Ruby's the co-host. We probably hey, not got much choice in the matter. Uh <laughs> What do they say? Never work with children and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what about white dresses and dogs in a, in a red in a red dirt area? <laughs> uh, yeah. So you like um, me? Yeah, Ruby, you just behave yourself there, and um, <laughs> she just wants to be right in the middle of the show. Yeah, it looks like. Much. Well, she right wanted her own microphone before, so that's uh, that's going to be great. I, I've just uh, I'm going to jump up just for two seconds. Can you, Danny, just tell them how did. Why are we doing this three-way? How did this happen? Well, um, watch out, Rubes. The reason I suppose we're doing this three-way is uh, Jade and I both have very similar interests. In uh, we love we love barrels, and we also love um, really interesting people who have got a great life story and a few yarns to tell, and have paved their way in the business world with surfing as um, their passion always there in the background, and it always creates a very interesting. Um, story and and the, the direction that people's lives take as a surfer is always going to be influenced by their, their love of the ocean and also the way that the kind of lends into decision making in their in their lives of, of an ethical way of being considerate about their environment and nature and yeah, in case is a pretty prime example of that and some of the decisions that he's made and he's a legendary waterman, um, big wave charger. He's got gonads. <laughs> So some pineapples. Slowly shrinking. Um, he's a bio, bionic man with um, brand new hips. Yep. One on each side? Yeah, got both replaced, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that yeah. story. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Glenn's got some great business tips as far as um, building up teams um, in his journey through establishing um, brands in the, in the surf industry and – and dealing with the, the changing nature from the very beginning of when it was, um, you know, very grassroots. Um, what did you say before? Home. Uh, well, it was a cottage industry, cottage industry, so everyone was at home sewing court shorts. You know, so it, it came from well, having their jumpers knitted. Yeah, had, had had jumpers knitted. I was talking to Wayne Lynch the other day, and we were looking at a photo when he was fourteen, and he said the the, the shirt was adjusted. Jumper was knitted and the um, and and the pants were refitted. So everything was made before we had surf clothing or the brands started to make surf gear. So so that's where it went into a cottage industry, and then all of a sudden they started going into factories and then offshore eventually. So when you first started with the Rip Curl back in 1982, I believe it was. Yes. What was what was Rip Curl then? Well, Rip, Rip Curl was essentially a wetsuit company that decided to – they actually got a fellow who ended up at Billabong, Doug Spong, and Doug came in and sort of started developing a, a little accessory and, and clothing line. And so they developed a, uh, a hooded windshader with this massive, big rip curl on the sleeve. And it was just this unusual shape that hadn't really kind of been 
it penetrated a little bit, but the, the hooded the hooded fleece or hooded sweaty kind of came in and just went nuts. You know, every every menswear because men's there was menswears back then. It wasn't surf shops. It was yeah. um, little corner stores with mum and pop. You know, and uh, and then he came in with a backpack, and so we had these two items, which literally I think you know we started out at three hundred thousand k of of this stuff, and then ended up within. I think two years or something, we were doing, you know, three and a half million dollars. Um, and so there was just this incredible growth and everyone wanted surf and it became the, you know, the it, the it thing. And how much did aligning the, the brand with these uh, mysterious, enigmatic surfers, how did that um, take things to the next level? So Wayne Lynch back then, he yeah. was an extraordinary character. Nobody really knew much about him. No. And so he was, how, how was he tied into? Well, yeah, like <clears throat> basically... Um, I used to see Wayne every Friday Arvo at the, you know, the, the boardroom meetings, which is, you know, another name for a piss-up, really. You know, a lot of beers <laughs> after a few barrels, you know. But essentially he, um, I mean, for everyone um, in Victoria, he was, he was the most successful surfer of all time. And, and, um, but they marketed him, even though authentically he was this sole surfer that just disappeared. And I think he, he literally turned up to... You know, get whatever he needed, and a and a and a, and a and a and a roll of cash, and then he'd just slip off and go surfing again down the coast. But, but I I, I um uh, I think it, as far as it's gone now to your Dave, Dave Rastoviches and your other styles of free surfers or soul surfers or influencers or whatever, it's it's very important to have those sort of associations with your brand because people want to be like that guy. Like I wanted to be like Wayne, so you know and. Um, and I wore him down and ended up, you know, you know, in the back seat of his car for about thirty years. So it it, um, it worked. The marketing worked. Or the front you know? seat, or the front seat of his <laughs> zodiac. Yeah, the front seat of his zodiac. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they were good times. Well, where are you going with this? I don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean the the surf industry. If if I can talk a little bit about it, um, it it had this kind of um, in, incredible growth and and. Um, Phil Jarrett wrote this amazing book about suits and salts and suits. And so, you know, at a certain point, a lot of the surfers only knew how to wax up and, you know, zip their wetty up. And so they, they ended up having to get this help from, um, you know, the MBA-style accountant or the, you know, the very advanced, um, you know, skill set of some leaders or, or management-type people. And so they, they, they brought this in. And I think, I mean, I was there at the time and, and it was good and bad and, there were some ugly parts of that, um, but I think in the end, this this type of mentality. And I'm not putting that mentality down because it's there to build business and, and get the growth and 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 um, stabilise your supply chain and you know um, build incentives for your staff and that. But it ended up that it just got greedy and it got really out of control mm. and it oversaturated and and with all all you know. A brand is kind of like a child or it's like a soul. So it has this growth and, and, and then the child grows and then it goes into this middle age and gets married. And, has, you know, and then he goes out and gets crazy and, and, and makes heaps of money and buys 15 houses. And then he goes through the midlife crisis. Well, and a Ferrari. The, the surf, a Ferrari. Yeah, he got a red Ferrari. Yeah, and, uh, got to have the red Ferrari. So, so that, that midlife crisis really hit the surf industry and it, it's just starting to come back out of it now and um, – in a whole new way, because I suppose every brand um, has to appeal to you know to its to its demographic, to its target market, and and if you're appealing to surfers, surfers, we really do care, like you said, about the soul of something, 
and and you know surfers are essentially you know we're rebels you know what i mean we yeah. don't want to 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 fit into the mainstream so how does a brand balance um those two things between being successful and and turning a profit for its shareholders and and expanding and growing and and, and building new stores but not um isolating its its demographic by becoming you know part of the corporate mainstream world well I, look i think this is kind of pretty overused word at the moment which is called sustainable mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> i mean there's seven billion people on the planet and you can't you can't kind of come up with a no harm policy we're all going to make we're all going to not one human on the planet doesn't do some type of harm so all we can say is let's do less harm and let's build better values and, and, and build better companies with mission statements and all that that has the balance of both aspects so you have your MBA guy and, and your, you know, all your intellectual sort of stuff. But you get that MBA guy to go out and walk in nature and go for a surf, maybe have a couple of mushrooms um, <laughs> and just expand that kind of guy because that kind of guy is, he's a bit of a weapon. He's a bit of a machine. But um, if he doesn't get into nature and find himself and find his soul, the company's always going to have a sustainable end of life it's a sustainable and then it hits an end of life and so it it's a it's a, it's a destruction because he's not knowing himself he doesn't know how to you know look after his staff he doesn't know how to you know um balance his life he doesn't know how to come home and hug the kids he's still doing emails at 12 o'clock at night or he's getting up at 4 a.m and running to the office so his life he loses juice he's got no gas he's got nothing in the tank and so the business goes with his energy because everything's energy so, so when, I, when I look at you and what you've done with, with brands like Rusty and Patagonia and now working with Yeti and Pure Scott, what would you say uh, are kind of your main sort of attributes that has been able to sort of take something that's already existing? So say with Rusty, there was already the Rusty surfboards um, and then, you know, building the clothing and with Patagonia, which came from, from Chile and you brought it into Australia. What are the main attributes that, that you have that were able to take these brands and build them from from where they were to, to $100,200 million worth yeah. of sales? I think you just have to recognise um, it's, it's like an appearance of growth. So you, you go into a marketplace and you don't force and dominate and try and control, say, a little mum and pop surf shop with your product. You go in and you ask them, you know, do you think, you know, can we have an, a little relationship? Can we, can we work out a little spot where we can put the product? And then you let it grow organically. And what I saw when I was in the surf industry and building brands like Rusty and then I, when I started Patagonia was that um, there was a lot of, I wouldn't say charlatans, but, but really, really manipulative type people mm. playing games. Use car salesmen. Use car salesmen trying to, oh, I'll put a sign up there, I'll put that in there, you know, rah, rah, and then they come back. And they still got the 120 T-shirts. Instead, if you had walked in and gone, I'll give you 10 and I'll give you all the help I can and I'll even come in on Sundays and make help you tea. You and, and, it. And, yep, yeah. and help you And so, you know, and if you put your heart and soul into it, soul, the word soul again, which is a bit overused, but, but it, um, you, you're making a contract with another person that you care about and you're not going to rape and pillage and run away going, oh, I've got 120 T-shirts in there. So it's, it's conscious. It's got a spiritual aspect to it. There's all sorts of balance that we've all got to come back to in business, which is just not my way or the highway and get profit and, and, and you know, and come home with a, uh, a million dollar order. 
It's really interesting, Jade, isn't it? Because um, when we think about sales in business, like the, the sort of term like aggression and like hitting hard and dominating is something yeah. that, um, you know, seems to probably be, you know, prevalent in a lot of why people approach sales. But what Glenn's saying is really interesting in that, and that it, it's, it's taking a step back and building relationships. Yeah. Well, it actually reminded me my first job out of high school. So I had the opportunity to go to university, which I did not want to do. And my one of my school teachers actually owned the local Evans Head surf shop. And she went to my dad and said, hey, do you mind if I offer Jade a traineeship in small business to come rather in the surf shop instead of going to university? And I was like... I get to work in a surf shop, turn up to work wearing zinc cream and go surfing and like hang out with all the cool things and get paid for it. Sounds, seems way better deal than going to university yeah. to do some shit that I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, like life experience. Yeah. Life experience. But like the back in the days, like this is 97. And so having the reps, the reps used to still come to store back then. You didn't have to, like during my time there, we ended up changing. You had to come up to the, um, like up to the Goldie and go to the, the showrooms and go through the range showings then. But when I first started, like, I remember having Danny Takini from Quicksilver yeah, come in Danny. and, like, show the range and, like, wheel it out of the, the back of the van. And I can't remember the guy from O&E, but he was the original owner of the distribution for O&E. And it was the relationship, like, traineeship. I was just left in charge of doing all the buying, running yeah. the whole shop. Like, never, uh, <laughs> it was like, here's your budget, go nuts. Yeah. And it was the, the guys that built the relationships with me that I knew weren't going to try and oversell me. Yep. like a product line because they knew the size of like we're in Evan's head like we're tiny right mm. and we did we'd, we'd got stuck with a bunch of um mambo gear or something once before because my old my boss had you know bought a range and they told the minimum orders and it was just shit that was never going to sell in Evans yeah. and it's like yeah. oh yeah. this is never going away and the guys that were like actually look we can bend the rules a little bit we can give you a cut and do a split pack or something like you wanted to come back and, and use them again and yeah. like it became like their friends. So Danny would turn up and I'd make sure that I'd have his favourite coffee ready to go. I'd give him the windows. Like, okay, you, if you're going to merch, you can have the window. Yes. And help them out. And I think that um, there's, a, I almost say that there's a the dying art of the relationship because mm. if people are getting into these bigger businesses, it's, it is the numbers. It's like the KPIs and hit mm hit the numbers and make the sales and, no, you've got to do these minimum orders and, you know, you're remunerated based on purely on those numbers and the performance and it doesn't actually allow the the person to humanise the the deal. Mm. And it's really interesting. One of my clients from Byron, we're just talking about now, we're going to take out uh, individual incentive structure for the sales team because we've found that, there's so many people involved with making the sale now. Like they've got their marketing team, they've got the customer service, they've got the retention, you've got the person that's helping someone to assist them and then you've, and you've got your salesperson at the end. It's like why is the salesperson getting all of the deal? And then you've got salespeople trying to get in early and take the leads and like is breeding this um, competitive, like must be the best nature. And we're like actually that's against the values that, that we yeah. have of <clears throat> collaboration and I think it's, yeah, if you can, and it is. It's like a relationship. I think, like the, the, the idea of a relationship. If you, if you look at that as a kind of a metaphor, that when you meet someone, you know, you don't, um, you don't try to like dive into bed with them straight away. Yeah. Or you don't ask Buy them to marry you on the first martini date. First. You know, it's about <laughs> a gradual kind of a long-term sort of thing. Like you might be in a really amazing salesperson and be able to go in 
to uh, to an environment, and because you're so charismatic, you know, sell them as much as you can. But if you haven't thought about what their needs are and what yeah. is best for them in the long term, they might not sell all that stock, or that you might have given them the stock that you wanted to get rid of because you know you wanted you to get it off your it. plate. Yeah. But then a few months down the track, are they going to be um, happy with the service that you've given them, or are they going to just feel like you've manipulated them into yeah. something yeah. they don't want? Yeah. It's thinking about the long term. Rather than that, rather than that short-term gain and sort of hit of achieving something, having that understanding of the longer play, mm. and I think this comes down to values as well, and like that value alignment and going, well, what are my core values? Like, I actually, yeah, I want to sell stuff, but more, I want to help people win. Or yeah, what's the what's that process? And I probably I want to, if you don't mind, if I squirrel away and um, your. How you came I might make into some tea here in the background? You, you make some tea. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, boiling. <laughs> <laughs> you you ended up leaving Ripcoil and starting your own um, agency, and you're on your own for what about twenty years? Yeah. So yeah. talk us talk us through like the step of you know having the balls to go out on your own, um, why you did it, and and what's the what's some of the lessons that you learned from having your own business? Well. Um, I was very fortunate because I was already employed by Rip Curl and they actually flipped everything over to agency. So um, they allowed, they kind of actually cash flowed um, yeah. the first season for me. Um, so in, in, in actual fact, they, yeah, if I sold a million bucks worth of weddies, they, they forecasted that and mm-hmm. slowly paid me. So I was, I was able to cash flow. It was very fortunate. I mean, these days you got to lend money off mum and dad or you got to go to the bank or you got to show some sort of, you know, turnover or result, results. So, yeah. Um, the thing for me was that sell all your life possessions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's my didgeridoo. Yeah. You know, um, and so it, 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 um, yeah. When you do like for me, um, and it's not for everyone, but um, my my ultimate thing in this world is you know, outside of a good relationship, is is freedom. And and so if I when I work for people, I I find it very hard to sort of work within their control boundaries. So by going out and running my my own agency, I controlled how I worked when I wanted to work. Um, I also had to hold the stress and the and the accountability on you know financial situations. And um, I've always been lucky. I've had a great family who um, have always supported me in some tough times or whatever. But but essentially, we I started that with me. Uh, on my own, and then I got a PA, and then I got about five sales staff. So I went from, yeah, I was doing Rusty and Stussy at the time. So we oh, were yes. doing, yeah, we we're doing some pretty cool. And we started our Arnett Eyewear, and uh, then we got Aztec Rose, and and in the end, it just became oh, Rusty. You Aztec, know, Aztec Rose, Rose was, remember that? <laughs> oh my god, that was my favourite brand in the world. Yeah, it was. Oh. Uh, it was a great. They were great. Crew, I great girls. Yeah, loved Aztec. Amazing ladies. They were great, and uh, so we. And that's interesting because it was a male, like, you know, most surfwear was directed towards males for, for quite some time. Yeah. And you're saying Aztec Rose. It, it's so funny. I literally got goosebumps. I haven't heard that name in yeah. so long. Yeah. But my my brand affinity to that is still so strong. Like, my, I literally mm. was like, oh, I love them. Yeah. I, can imagine, I had this white bikini <clears throat> that I just absolutely adored. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and pretty much any range that came out, I was like, I had to have it. And <laughs> I don't know. I actually can't remember why that brand alliance came around, but they were the first guys to get onto Jody Mears, you know, uh, James yeah. Packer's ex-wife, and you know, Jody Mears was this, you know, 
But in her early days, so they made this cutout, like this, mm. you know, five foot five cutout of Jodie That's Mears, right. Pretty much in the nude, and so you could just stick. You this could stick the bikini Aztec on it. Rose bikini it had and this, have it at the door. It, it had this like and little. Jodie was well built, wasn't she? Yeah, yes, she was it was incredible. like this little naked blessed, nude. Blessed by nature. For the guys call, or the girls to put in there. Let's just call it blessed by nature. Yeah, it was. It, she I had think, these little nude um, g-string things on that you could <laughs> that you could dress her in. That's right. So that was Aztec Rose. Um, That's a pretty interesting little. Um, yeah. Well, <coughs> like when you think about uh, how do you how do you get like you want to get eye space like when we were talking about liquor before and you know you're a, uh, uh, an ambassador for pure Scotch. <laughs> yeah. But if when you're going into a bottle shop, you want eye eye level on the um, on the shelf. Like that's that's yeah. the best place to have your range. Like you're in a surf shop. Like how do you get your bikini? In front of the people, like there's only so much window space. Oh, the there's only one gondola out. end, yeah. Yeah. right? That's and then right. Jody, though, you can pick her up and move around everywhere. Now all the old managers, you know, in those old shops, are like, yeah, yeah, we'll take, we'll that take merchandise. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, give us another one, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. we'll have two uh, Jodies. Like the most successful <laughs> merchandise you could have ever developed. So POS <laughs> merchandising, um, obviously hugely important. Like Jade was saying, yeah. in in all kind of industries. So what what were some tricks that you learned in the in the surf industry for having say your products you've worked with like Rusty Aztec Rose? Um, et cetera, you know, being, yeah. you know. Well, there's two, there's, there was, well, I used to call it the two P's, which is you, you worked on the people and you worked on your position. So basically if you were, if you were sitting that back in this little dark corner, then you ripped it out and without knowing them. But if you, <laughs> if you worked on the people that, that sold it. So, you know, and, and those, um, they were called, uh, retail support kind of. So you'd go, Hey mate, look, that jacket looks amazing on you. How about I get you one? <laughs> Similar half price, and you and you and you were seducing, and you were doing all sorts of funny things like that. But but in the end, you were caring for them and looking after them. And you know, at the time, I was just doing rip curl wetsuits and accessories. So everyone in the surf shops were were buffed out in rip curl wetties at a cheap deal, or they got one free if they were a big account. Um, so yeah, a bit of manipulation and a bit of um, product placement or seeding. So they you know, and and when we when we started, it was funny. Uh, I don't want to jump. It's probably going to jump too far there, but that's right. We can always circle back. Yeah, we love these well, conversations that go everywhere. Yeah, but okay. So <laughs> it was funny because when we started Patagonia and um, and I opened up the retail store, it was the first retail store was in Torquay, and um, it was really really hard to get the product onto people, and um, and the like shop, physically the shop, on their body. Yeah, just to come in, try it on, get yep. a feel for it, ask questions. Can we educate you about the organic cottons or this or that? And it ended up that. We ended up having this massive warehouse sale, which was like 65% off. And so I advertised it in the local paper. And then the whole town, Torquay, came to this little warehouse. Tight-ass Torquay. Tight-ass Torquay, right? <laughs> Tight-ass. Well, there's a sale. I don't care what's, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm there. Yeah. Bloody hell. And, um, I mean, everyone was, you know, in there. And they, they bought this stuff really cheap. And so they were walking around. And, and by that purchase and by that experience of wearing Patagonia, which makes just the most beautiful quality product, and that's not a sales pitch, but they are. Their clothing is, I think, their best number one thing. I think their environmental aspects are number two. But I think their products are so good. They got it. They wore it. They went, oh, my God, how good is this? And then next season, all those people, they sort of transmutated back into the store and saying, hey, I've got this really cheap jacket. Got any other cheap yeah, ones? Yeah, what else but, you got? And we're able to sell them something I think else, the so. mental block that I've always had with Patagonia before I became, like, you know, obsessed with it is that it was like a – 
associated with mountain climbing and outdoors and, yeah. Yeah. and stuff that I didn't do. Yeah. So how do you change people? Whoops, there goes the white dress. Look at that. She got excited wow. there. She was like, I, I like mine like, climbing. Like, yeah, yeah. I like the outdoors. This is why I usually have a lid on my coffee cup. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, sorry. we're inside today. Yeah. I do have lids for those, but I'm sure. Uh, what? Well, uh, look, you yeah, stitched look, me. You're giving me a dead set Okay, stitch this up. is called a mag slider, so it I, locks see, off. See, I love so, the... Sorry. Um, yeah, right. No, Yeti will be loving this. They'll be like, yeah, she should be using the Yeti lid. that's a really good question because I got told by Tim Pallon, who Paddy Pallon's the biggest you know, chain in um, Australia for, you know, independent chain, um, said to me, looked at me and just said, hey, mate, you know, you're mad. What are you doing? Doing a hybrid. You know, we were rolling out a sort of surf aspect to Patagonia as well as, you know, we were trying to sell these mountain climbing jackets and waterproofs and alpine and stuff. And he goes, mate, you're mad. You're mad. What are you doing? And uh, and um, I said, no, 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 we're just we're going to go for this hybrid surf shop. We're going to do this this way. And... Um, and it succeeded in the end, but it was. He was sort of right that, that it was hard to penetrate a market that didn't know us. Mm. And when we first opened the first store, which was a hybrid store, we had surfboards and wetsuits and all the board shorts, and people were kind of looking at us like, hey, why are you pretending to be a surf brand? Why are you being something you're not? And, and so I, I, I stuck to the guns that all of our climbers surfed in summer, and or, or sorry, in winter, because they climbed in summer. They climbed the you know, when the snow was melting and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's interesting Interesting that, you know, sometimes you can go up against a kind of a, a, a like a tidal push against you when, you when you can sort of say, well, what's right about this wrong? Why am I, why am I still penetrating this tidal push against me? Why don't I just step off the bank and go that way? Um, which we, we stuck to, we all stuck to the guns and, and, and kept marketing ourselves as surfers. And now Patagonia in Australia is very much seen as a hybrid brand and very much a surf eco-adventurer. There's this big movement that there's so many kids, you know, sort of spiralling around the brand because they're all in bands and they're all going surfing and they're all saving the environment, and, you know, fighting for the bite and, you know, stopping PEP 11. And so there's this incredible new movement kind of like the eco-adventurer that's, yeah. that's uh, very, very firm with Patagonia. I'm sure, Jade, you work with a lot of different um, clients who one of their probably main struggles is is to how to align themselves with other dem- other target markets. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it must be a difficult thing for people to do. Yeah, super difficult. And Sorry. I think it, it's about if you've got a really clear... Amazing. You must have heard my thoughts. I, I was like, um, I couldn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe we, I was like walking maybe around. Maybe we the adventurer. The adventurer. Turn the, turn the kid off. Yeah, yeah I love it. Um, so <laughs> what I think is the common thread there, though, it's like it's finding the common thread. It's finding the way to mm. make it make sense. Because make like, it appeal. Make it appeal. Or, like if you're just trying to like appease one avatar, one type of client, and you're going in a completely the opposite direction and there's no – no one can draw a line between the connection. It kind of feels like you're just forcing something or you're just trying to, you know, grab rope for money. Whereas yeah. I've always seen Ad- uh, Patagonia as an adventure brand. Yeah. And for me, like mountain climbing, surfing, snowboarding, anything, that, that there's still the common thread is the type of person and it's still that adventure sport and it's yeah. still that um, connection to nature. So for me, there's not a big jump yeah. Between the two, so although you're trying to penetrate a new market and surfers, we know are quite protective over what yeah. we are and what we aren't. Um, I think that that's if if other businesses are looking at it like why like you've got to draw the line, you've got to help people 
put the dots together yeah. on on why they match. Can you just talk to like you were talking about like how you ended up joining Patagonia and they were coming out and um, sort of talking to Wayne yeah. originally, but you you said you already had an interest in them and why why had you kind of gone there's someone I want to work with? Well, uh, it was funny because we were we were fighting a, a, a logging coop when I built this little shack in the bush and um, I had this little getaway, which ended up being most of the time, you know, I was living <laughs> there. And but, but right next to us, though, it had this 5,000 know, uh, uh, acre uh, clear fell or, or clear cut. So they'd just go in and just mow the whole thing. Wow. So, so we sort of started fighting that. And then um, it was just that, yeah, it was um, – Dave Parmenta, a surfer shaper, came down and hung out with Wayne and, and Wayne had just been approached by them and, and he just looked at me and Wayne looked at me and said, why don't you just email this guy that came to us? And and so I emailed him and said, look, I really want to change. I want to get out of this whole surf industry thing. Um, so the surf industry was diluting and sales were really difficult and um, people were really stressed and really hard to kind of, you know, find some sort of harmony, peacefulness and very demanding, but and ended up he came back and said, "Yeah, look, we're we're going to come out. Um, we're going to meet another. Uh, there's another two groups that we're going to talk to, and um, and so they came out, met me and another another guy uh, who was sort of helping me at the time, and um, and uh, said, "Yep, you're it." About six months later, they met. They're very slow in their decision making. Um, yeah, and so we flew to um, Ventura, um, Patagonia, and met Elon Chenard and and um, his wife Melinda and their son. Um, uh, Fletcher and daughter and and just an amazing family. I just fell in love with the, the whole family, the whole business. It's a lot of people say it's a bit like a cult. You know, you walk through, you hear a pin drop. You know, everyone's just you know in the zen, you know, on their computers um, designing. Or is it um, true that if the surf's up, it's everyone's allowed to go surfing? <clears throat> I was going to say that before because it, it was kind of revolutionary. Because w- when I first started at Rip Curl in 1982. Yeah, there was this, you know, drop tools when it's eight foot and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, it had to be kind of pretty perfect to go surfing. What but about for someone like me that like four yeah, foot's just like, exactly. can so I you, go at four foot? You, <laughs> so got, yeah. you can go at eight yeah, yeah, foot. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, if it's, it's two, like little four foot three, barrels of miniature me yeah. can tuck into. <laughs> but I think he was. <laughs> no, you got to go out the eight foot ones. Well, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't go, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'll, probably, I'll paddle out in the lineup and sit there. <laughs> yeah. But he was revolutionary in that he, he, did he wrote well? His name of his book was "Let My People Go Surfing," and it was um, it was basically um, and it was like this honouring of your position as an employee and, and and giving that person complete trust and that he he wasn't going to do any you know no harm to anyone around him in in his sort of business little group or you know um, but also he would be responsible in that he would come back and finish his work on time. So there was this they called it flexi time. And so he wrote his book about it that how important it was to find that balance and to have everyone enjoying the business like he was. Yeah. You know, and so if you have, um, you know, the boss kind of run around getting all the profit and, you know, and, and, and going surfing and come back with, you know, the ski goggle kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sunbaked kind of, you know, oh, I was just and up then a Jackson hole. Uh, you know. yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously he, he deserves that, but, but essentially all the workers um, – and he just flatlined the wages, and, and then there was this group incentive. So and he'd make these big announcements, um, as well as giving one percent to um, the planet. You know, he started with 
Steve Kellogg, he started that 1% for the planet where they started giving away, which was really, again, quite revolutionary to start a, a .org foundation that grabs the money and then puts it into grassroots. So if you find staff that believe in, in the product and believe in, in, in what the product stands for, you don't need to micromanage. You don't need to... No. You can trust yeah. them to... Yeah, and you, ha- and you hold staff for a long time because you're holding their heart, you're holding their... Their, their passions and, and so you've you've got this you know I mean there's people there there's a guy called Vincent Stanley and he wrote a book with Yvonne called Responsible Business it's a very good read and it's all the things they've learnt about um, you know how to be responsible in business but Vincent Stanley is actually um, I think he's Yvonne's cousin but he was there and he got up on stage and said well it's my 45th year in the company you know and I was like 45 years wow you know wow. incredible <laughs> Um, and oh, it might have time. been, you know, that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he went surfing a lot and maybe it was, you know, um, it was because he just loved what he did. And, and Patagonia is like that. They build this incredible culture and, and um, they got free organic food at lunchtime. They got a crèche. You know, they just built things in there that um, it's like the fair trade movement when they started that 10 or so years ago that they were building things around the factories in China and building things around um, India, you know, and, and <clears throat> all that Nike kind of child labour stuff mm. that came out that they were they were completely annihilated for in the media and, and stuff that stuff that just um, Yvonne Yvonne was very aware of and um, that we we just definitely have to look at look after our people. We're not robots. We're we're, we're, we're children. We're, we're, we we want to have fun. We we want to we want to enjoy our life. As, as how do you get people to like put their hand in their pockets, <laughs> you know, and um, pay that bit extra? For, for a piece of cloth for a piece for an item of clothing um, because it because it does come from a, a sustainable and an ethical background how do you how do you because Tyler's talk we were talking about before yeah. they wanted to buy it because of 65 percent off yeah. but um, how do you yeah. get people to go the other way and well it, I think Patagonia got really good at um, their labeling and and, uh, and they ended up putting like almost little books on there so the people that had the time could see that they were paying a little bit extra for the fair trade add-on, which, you know, Patagonia would pay an extra 25% that was a better factory and that had better ethics and, and better mm-hmm. people management. And then, then they looked at it and went, oh, wow, here's the, um, you know, here's a statement. It says, oh, don't buy this jacket unless you need it, you know, and, and, and other really kind of um, controversial. Sort of almost polarising. Yeah, and all this is organic cotton. Um, you know, this, this is, you know, um, more toxic than coal and that, you know, this is um, one thing that we attacked back in the early 90s and you should, you know, not add to the... Because all the chemical stuff and the, the, mm. the, the stuff that's coming out now about um, Roundup, glu- oh. glucose, and, and, and they, did, they did something like uh, Harvard did a, a test on 80 beers and 60 of them had Roundup in it, <gasps> 60 of them. And so the amount of chemicals that have been made by these... Oh. Know, manto- uh, <coughs> uh, what's his name? Man- um, Anyway, Santa. Bauer and, and, and um, Monsanto. Monsanto. Mm. So and all this chemical, you know, gene modifying and all that sort of stuff, is it's all going to come out, but let's, as people, let's make choices. Let's yeah. make meaningful choices that this brand or there's a lot of good brands out there now doing what the Patagonia crew did is you, you step into it and go, I'm making that choice because I'm not supporting that. Yeah. Right down over there at the end of the supply chain, I'm not supporting you. Monsanto or I'm not supporting you, you know, sweatshop crazy 
Indian mafia guy with 300 kids sewing and, you know, I'm not supporting you, I'm not yeah. supporting, I'm supporting my choice is well, you supporting wallet, this right? right here. And that's how you open your wallet. Yeah. And I'm wondering, Jade, when you're working with, with business, um, with, with, with clients, do you make a concerted effort to try to convince them to be more ethical in their business yeah. practices? Yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> and I say that I firstly have a no dickhead policy. <laughs> um, within the business, if you going to take people on, no, gonna... and the first one that you're being a dickhead, you're gone. Um, so we have <laughs> we have said goodbye to people before. Yeah. Um, but I want to work with humanity and Planet Plus businesses. So if someone's not kind of, it kind of sounds bad, probably uh, for other business coaches, it's kind of like they go in and they work with what they want to do. I'm like, it's not, sometimes it's not my way or the highway, but. If you choose to work with me, especially with building teams, it's about employee happiness first. Like I'm on a mission to enable 6,000 people to be happier at work by May 2024 and that starts with the founders of the business. But I believe that it's our job as business owners to be the ripple effect of lowering stress, anxiety and depression through the place that they spend the most time at. So it's like, okay, if you're not willing to put your people first and to look at this shit, then you're not my people. But then I come in and I look at them in terms of their – we've we've taken a step away from values and gone more to virtues because I believe you can't yep. force a, I, th I believe a value is your own personal belief and you can't force your beliefs upon somebody else, mm. but you can have a set of company virtues that you all assign, like you all enroll in and, and say, yeah, I sign up yep. to this. Yeah. And I'm always pushing um, my clients to, to pick a virtue that's going to be planet and humanity plus. So what can they do to lower the impact on the environment? Where can they make better choices? Like, one of my key clients in um, up in New or down in Newcastle, they have students come into the workshop. So they they teach engineering, and those those of you that watch the show a lot will know Kyle. We do barrels, business, and beers every second Friday. But we now, whenever the students come in, it's like okay, we've got a bunch of coffee cups. So when the coffee cart comes, grab your cup. You can label it with a whiteboard marker and take it out to Steve, and Steve will make your coffee in your coffee cup rather than taking actual um, getting takeaway cups from the coffee cart. When somebody new starts, they get given a keep cup to, to start off with. And it's like, okay, cool. These little Making initiatives. Making them feel valued, making people feel um, important and, yeah. and part of the, you know, part of the, the organisation yeah. straight away. And we, we introduced a value for them called Planet Plus. And everyone on the team is like, this is going to be my hardest one because I just don't know enough. But every week we're like, okay, in, a, in the team meeting, how can you be more Planet Plus? Or the team in the huddle goes, we go, okay, what value do you want to be or virtually do you want to be recognised for next week you want to pat on the back mm. for? And someone will go, oh, I want to be Planet Plus. So what I'm going to do is go and have a look at the workshop and see what we could change out. And so everyone's now like taking a step up and going, where can they slowly change the business to, to make less impact? And like one of the guys had to travel – from Newcastle to South Australia and he sent me a video. He's like, oh, so I've packed the water cooler. I filled up my water cooler. It's in the trailer and I've got my coffee cups and, and he pulled over on the side of the road and he had his burner. He was making his own <laughs> coffee. And so instead of where he said he used to stop at every servo and buy a takeaway cup and he'd buy a bottle of water, plastic water, he's now stopped the the trailer with all of the things and like, and he's and sharing yeah, with, that yeah. message. With social yeah. media and stuff, we can really share, like, everything about our lives and, and within our sort of team at work and, and stuff. One point that I wanted to touch upon with what you're saying is it's probably very easy for people to come up with all these kind of buzzwords and, and then not, not actually 
sort of implement them and to be practical yeah. and for people just to kind of wash over people's heads. Yeah. So I think it's pretty important to to actually, um, you know, practice what you preach, not just sort of send out a memo, we're going to be yeah. playing a plus this week, wear your Hawaiian shirt on Friday, you know, things yeah, like that. Because, because people aren't. <laughs> People aren't stupid. People aren't naive, mostly. Mm. They, they know when something's just a buzzword and it's just like something's happened in a meeting where they've decided they're going to do this yeah. and tell everyone to do it. So how do you how do you make yeah. people believe in the message rather than just forcing it down? Well, I reckon you're going to be able to touch on this with Yvonne as well. Am I saying his name right? Yep. Um, it's, it's, the, it's what you do is who you are and if you want that to come through your business and build a culture, you have to live it and breathe it. It can't be words on a wall for a set of values. Like mm. my team know, like I will not have a coffee if I don't have a keep cup. Like I just won't have one. Like I'll go without. It's just too bad, my bad luck. If I'm going to get coffee for the guys when I go to site, I keep like I've got five different keep cups in the car, juice cups and things for those that don't have coffee. And like it's my line in the sand and you've got to live it and you've mm. got to breathe it. Like they, my old place on the Gold Coast is where I used to have all my workshops everyone knew that mcdonald's was is you're not allowed in my house if you've got um a fast food chain thing you don't even come just don't come how strict were you um glenn with the people you worked with and their sort of ethics and value like were you did you have a bit of wiggle room did you did you sort of try to mold people into the way that you want them to be yeah i think i had i hoped i had good influence on them and and i i'd read yvonne's book and so i kind of got it in my head but i spent a lot of time in in Ventura and just saw the way they, they kind of ran their business and how they looked after their employees. But um, it's, um, you know, Yvonne says this great line that um, evolution starts at the bottom, you know, uh, you know, or revolution, sorry. Um, and that just you, you yourself, can influence, say, just 10 people. So whatever was um, your individual choice to grab a keep cup, you know, eventually, by the time you've hit all these people and they've hit everyone, it becomes the collective field. So um, now we're recycling. You I know, when I was a kid, the ripple yeah. effect. So the ripple effect in the 80s was that, mate, just throw your rubbish out the window. 70s when I was a kid, you know, mum and dad, oh, you know. So now we're very cautious of waste management and all sorts of things. But, um, and I had this, I had Yvonne come over and launch Australia and he stayed with us and, um, and I was driving along and I took him into a surf shop and I said, oh, how's this, you know, marketing bullshit, you know, um, Billabong and doing these recycled plastic bottle board shots, you know, this is, this is, you know, total rip off of us, Yvonne. And, and he looked at me and he goes, no, like it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, like I'm you know, yeah. saying the wrong you're thing getting, to you're the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> My distribution's over, you know. And he goes, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter when companies get on or people get on it's just as, as long as they get, as on. They get on and and uh and so he was yeah he was he was stoked that um and you know i think we all got to start at buying biodegradable washing powder and you know and doing all sorts of um just just being conscious of our footprint going into it but but Yvonne came back to me and said i'll tell you what happened when when i went to walmart and walmart in america is a 400 billion dollar company and i went in and i sat down with the ceo and i looked at him and i went you're a, you're a complete you're a, you're supporting cotton and it's the most toxic thing on the planet and i educated him i sat in front of him and educated him to the point where he was just like going whoa whoa whoa, whoa. and so walmart within two years turned around 400 billion dollars worth of cotton cheap 
you know, Kmart type stuff. Um, everything in Walmart was organic cotton. And so it was, Yvonne said, that was one of my greatest achievements on a very wow. small level. To one person to walk in. Like that, hey? <clears throat> and so it's, you just can't underestimate, you know, um, what one person with one key cup can end up yeah. <laughs> doing with his time. And also yeah. not assume what people, how they're going to respond to what you say. Like he might have assumed before he went in there, this guy was going to tell him to F off. Yeah. And, and but he still had the, the you know, the, he still had the, the gall to go in there and, and, and say his piece. Well, I think it's the, <laughs> it's the line in the sand. It's like, what do you stand for and what do you stand against? What are you willing to polarise for? What are you willing to draw the line in the sand and to... Mm to just be vocal about because not everyone's going to hear you, but yeah. if the, it's the 10 people around you and you never know where those 10 are going to go and how that can affect. And I was kind of reminded when you were saying before about the branding, it's like um, this amazing guy, Paul Dunn, um, he's done a lot of work with Simon Sinek and he's got B1G1, so buy one, give one. He's got a saying that says people um, don't buy what you do, they buy what you believe in. Yeah, mm. true, true. And so I think the Patagonia brand like, and the branding, it's like if you know your avatar and, and you can get those values, it's, that's, it's they buy what you believe in. They'll pay the extra dollars to do that. And it's when you make those, they, they read that card and they're like, holy shit, I didn't know that about cotton. And then they go home and they tell their kid and they're like, wow, no, we're not going to buy that because yeah. – and they start the education process. The problem is – most of us, like, were unaware. Like, I, if I think back to 10 years ago, I was so unaware about my consumer purchases. Like, I was playing footy and I'd buy a pair of boots and they're made out of plastic and, you know, they, you know, get a little bit of a whatever and toss them, get another pair of boots and you you just didn't, just didn't think about the consumer. But right now it's like I ended up, I ordered during COVID, I ordered a rip curl wetsuit that, ended up being one size too big and mm. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. And I was like, I still wear it and my boyfriend's like, get another suit. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I'm not getting another suit until I can, like I want to buy a secondhand suit Yeah. because yeah. I don't need to go through that consumer process yeah. and then I'll donate my suit to someone else that needs it. And he's like, mm. well, how, are you taking action on getting this suit or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, now we put together early days the, the Buy Better program, which was just buy better quality or, mm. or, or be smarter in your purchases mm. um, and don't, you know, like, um, you know, we were talking before that, you know, there's all sorts of, as a company, you, you make better products, you know, and I, because I, I do work for Yeti and the phenomenal growth of this brand is like the surf industry in the 80s <laughs> um, is that <clears throat> it's one of the most quality, like they've, they've got shots of, um polar bears, you know, trying to rip these yetis <laughs> apart and they can't, you know, because they're so tough and so – and I'm, I'm, not, I'm obviously doing a plug here. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, you're going to have to bear with me. But I must but say, I, besides the lid, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it's the number one thing in selling Patagonia and Yeti and, you know, and all those sorts of things is that if you do buy better and there's, there's a great line that says a poor man shouldn't buy cheap. Yeah. So if, if you can save up and buy – a much better quality iPad, iPhone, you know, cup, whatever. Um, you'll keep that thing for twenty years, or you know, and and that's what Patagonia did. They revolutionised and yet uh, the quality aspect. Mm. And then what they did is they revolutionised the um, uh, lifetime warranty. They had this ironclad guarantee, which was this big stamp in the shop, and it was basically if 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 
if we're standing by our product and if it doesn't work, you can come back in and give it back to us and we'll give you another one or we'll give you your money back. And when I first heard that and we first did the shop at Torquay, you know, we had these little old grandmas and grandpas shuffling in. And in the 80s, you know, or in the 70s, we, we, we went surfing, you know, we went skiing in Mont Blanc and um, this is the jacket and all the bloody waterproofing's come off. And I'm just <laughs> like looking at it going, well, that's a, you know, 18-year-old <laughs> jacket. Um, I don't know if this lifetime warranty kind of, Jess, well, it says it on the wall. There's a bloody stamp over there that says I click guarantee. And so we're honouring some of these incredible old products that just had broken down over time, which, you know, and so actually, you know, there's a Patagonia went back to this whole thing and, and remeasured it and said it's it's a lifetime satisfaction guarantee. So if you're satisfied um, and you got 10 years of great use out of it and you're satisfied with it, but if you're not satisfied, we'll still talk to you about it. But from our point of view, probably 15 or 20 years of, of you know, jacket life is, you know, so they had to, they had to shuffle that around. So it was good. they were getting a, it's sort of a giving a brand a personality too, isn't it? It's yeah. Not, it's making the brand into something you can relate to and you want to, you want to be friends with Patagonia. You want yeah. to hang well, out. And then yeah. my relationship yeah. with Aztec grows, oh, Aztec. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My old friend, where did you go? Why did you leave me? Walking down Evans Head in your yeah. new swimsuit. In my new just, swimmers, you know. yeah. Okay, <laughs> just probably still got the Jody Mears cut out. <laughs> He's had a laminated. I so, yeah, He's yeah. like, I don't do plastic. When I do, I coat Jody Mears in this. <laughs> Is that uh, right no. yeah, yeah. Not all that's been coated. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to come, come to my pool room, <laughs> wallpaper is. Um, no, Jody was good. Well, while we're, we're, we're just sort of talking about Case the Person, we might just sort of circle back a little bit. So, um, you know, you've had a lot of successes in the business world, but then you've also had had some some failures. You had a falling yeah. out with Patagonia. You had yeah. um, a bankruptcy situation. How do you tell us a little bit about that and bouncing back from that kind of disappointment? Um, yeah, I look. I, I think um, initially when I went through all the the hard stuff with Patagonia, it was that you know they weren't sort of performing that well. My family didn't want to back a product that was you know really finding it hard to penetrate into. I probably made, you know, a, a few, a few bad moves, and, and I was a bit of a greenhorn. You know, I wasn't. I was more of a salesman than a manager. So, um, and I'm more of a creative, really. And um, so, um, you know, we ended up talking to them, and we couldn't kind of work out, you know, the the the, the best way forward. So they ended up paying us for the work that we did, and and gave us gave us our um, most of our cash back. Um, and then I went through a pretty ugly separation and I worked for Patagonia as brand manager and <clears throat> I just went through a really rough period that um, just whatever I touched just went yeah. bad. And um, so I went through this law courts for, you know, four years, um, went bankrupt um, and then basically had a, had a, had a sort of a, a chat to our um, global manager and he said, well, why don't you go to Byron Bay and do a, do a shop up there for us and get out of this office type thing you know and so that was great for me because I was able to even though start back at zero um, I had a one-year-old daughter a new partner of three years and so we came up here and re rebooted our lives <clears throat> I still felt there was a lot of loss and, and it's hard to get over that <clears throat> there's quite a, a lot of depression in losing what the dream the fantasy you know you have this desire to you know be someone or to you know be this kind of you know, eco hero. You know, with this cape flying around <laughs> Torquay. So I, I, I kind of had to. Um, 
hum- to become, quite humbling. Yeah. yeah, very humbling. And I had to become, Ram Dass says this great line, I think, I think I wrote it, that we're all becoming nothing. We're all becoming nobody. Mm. Even though, but in saying that, we become this great energetic soul that, so if we put our imaginative fantasy life and who we think we should be, you know, some amazing businessman um, running around saving the planet, that's all just a mystery because when we die, we don't take that with us, you know, even though it's nice to do it while we're here. But, and so I had to get really into this really base core kind of survival instincts of what do I really want? <clears throat> um, how do I really want to go? So I just redeveloped, well, <clears throat> ended up getting out of the Byron Bay store and just re- redeveloped myself as me as the brand. I'm the soul. People want to hear me. People want to hear my experiences, you know, the, you know, the dark side of the moon and, the, yeah. you know, the, the certain parts of my life, I've got a lot to offer. And so, um, yeah, I've had great brands like Yeti and Pure Scott and, and these other brands come to me and go, hey, can you help us start up? Can you give us some connections with people? And it's like you, you meet someone in the street and he's a lovely kid and you immediately want to help him and that's energetic. So if, if you actually find that you find someone that, you know, you have this immediate relationship with, you could work with them or you could. And so I have that. I feel like I have that with these brands and what I offer them. And, and, um, and so I meet really good people that, you know, so I've got like Dave Rastovich connected with Pure Scott. Um, I've got Heath Josky connected with Yeti. You know, we've got Mick Fanning on now with Yeti um, and all these old connections over the years that, that um, through a little bit of a phone call and a bit of a catch up, we're able to, you know, kind of build their influences, help their marketing in Australia look an authentic Aussie brand, which everyone wants to look like they're a part of this environment. And, and the people do that. People give you that that cottage home feel, you know. Yeah. So, so, but in the end, I've rebuilt myself to, um, I'm a single father. Um, and uh, Does Willow I, surf? Willow's surfed heaps and then she just shut it down and, and almost oh. broke my heart. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, please, you know. And, um, but uh, she's talking about going back into it and surfing again. She hasn't surfed for a year now, but <clears throat> she started about COVID. So I thought it was this kind of, you know, surf pandemic um, mm-hmm. where she started and learned. She did it for about six months and couldn't get off it and learned to ride, paddled onto them and rode. And she's really quite sporty and talented. And then she just shut it down. But anyway, we'll, We'll re- revisit that maybe when she's Steffi Gilmore in you know, <laughs> 2029. But so, so this spiritual, this kind of spiritual case that is the current case, um, current case. You're calling me a split personnel. It seems. It seems this bring this idea of. of, of getting out of the books, getting out of the MBA and the, the textbook side of things and being on an energetic level. How, how do you, how do you um, read that, Jay? Do you think it's, it's something that can, that can work for, for other people in business to, to tap more into a spiritual kind yeah. of path and to bring that energetic thing into their practices? 100%. Um, it's probably similar to my own story. So I had the, uh, the listeners that have been on before will understand this story. I, I drove a glitter orange Lotus Elise. Uh, I wore a three-piece pinstripe suit. I had the, you know, the big office on Pitt Street in the city of Sydney and, you know, all, all of the trimmings, the house that looked at the Harbour Bridge and it was like that go, go, go. And I kind of, I call it my spiritual waking or conversations with God that we talked about. And 
um, that just really changed my life. And I was on a trajectory where I could have gone into, you know, the, the multi-office, I had the investors and it could like go down that path. And one day I woke up and realised that I don't know if this is all it's meant to be and realised I hadn't been surfing properly, like I'd surfed 10 times in 17 years and so there's hope for Willow, she can come back. (laughs) And I was kind of like, there's got to be more to life than just grinding away under fluorescent lights and paying off the debt that you're racking up Mm. and buying all the shiny shit. Worshipping money and and, and you shifted your – You've decided to worship yourself rather than yeah, the like, money. Even though, like, even though I was making the money and I had, like, obviously some pretty cool shit, like I, I bought the Lotus because I didn't have a car as a kid. Like, we used to have to hitch to hospital and you know, we'd hitch to Ballina to go to the dentist. And mm. so for me, like, just the experience of driving a car and, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was overly consumeristic, but when I looked at it, it was kind of like, do I need five $5,000? $5, um, but I, I just started questioning, like, was why are we here and, and came to the realisation that we're souls here having a human experience and mm. do I only want to experience building a business or, like, I was playing football then as well or playing, playing football, like, what is, the, what is the experience that I really want to have and how do I figure out what this soul is, like, because I feel like, it's just all this noise mm. and all the bombardment of what you should, like you talked about. So you got to make compromises. You got to make compromises. Like you, everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else, and you've got to kind of weigh up. And this is, I think, goes back to those values and virtues. It's like, what are you willing to say no to to say yes to the right things or what's aligned to you, and how do you tap in to that soul? And for me, again, I go back to the clients that I work with. I want those people and I've, I've really started to attract clientele that have started their, their spiritual awakening. They're, they're starting to tap into their soul and like some of them, like some of the guys are doing, like they've gone from say a million dollars last year and they're on track to do 10 million in the next 18 months. Like it's not like they're sitting around, you know, mm. just making green teas and um, – it on the drum like the, the serious businesses but there's that soul element like they they journal in the morning they they make sure they meditate or when they realize they're off kilter it's like fuck i've got to get in the water or i've got to go for a run or i've got to yeah. and there's boundaries on i i work hard but this time of day i take my kid to school and i kiss them goodbye and at this time of day i pick them up and nothing else really gets in the way of that well i suppose stress is probably one of the main things that that holds people back in their life and in business in general. And, and these are ways that you're talking about to deal with to deal with stress and improve your mental health. And that's going to, mm. in turn, of course, improve productivity in all aspects of your life. So it's like kind of taking a step backwards to go forward, isn't it? Yeah, so you've got to slow down, down to speed up. That's what it seems like. And I'm yeah. sure you've experienced that too. Casey, you're living out here in the, in, yep. you know, behind Lennox in, in nature. Yes. Um, but you don't, like, at what point, you know, how, how do you know how far to go back Till you like living in a tent, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. right. That's right. Finding um, or a van, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but it's a fancy van. <laughs> yeah, I sold the Lotus to build that van. It's a beautiful. The van's worth as much as the Lotus with all the crap in it. Yeah. Uh, no, I. Um, it's it's an interesting point because um, when I grew up, I was dyslexic, you know, undiagnosed, but but 
essentially I had no education skills at all. Like I failed everything. They all wanted to keep me down. You know, there was all, um, you know, there's all support systems in, in place now for that kind of thing. But um, there's a thing in, in once you get outside the fear karma, is there's this thing called um, destiny. And, and there's this big question whether it's a co-creation or it's you're creating it. And I think, or, or it's the creator that's pulling you along. And so there's a, there's a part of me that um, I find that now it's, it's a co-creation. It's, it's, it's me meeting the experiences that are coming at me. And so, so when I was, and, and all the Eastern cultures and the, you know, um, uh, the Mayan people and the Amazon and the Sumatran people, they all have, you know, men's initiation or, or initiation mm. periods where, you know, Aboriginals, Australian Aboriginals, um, they take the kids off for this <coughs> awakening and sometimes they use, you know, different types of bark that gives them a sort of a psychoactive <laughs> sort of experience and shamans do all sorts of things. So this this sort of uh, happened to me when in the 80s and it, it, it kind of formed all of my life and it changed me because I saw my mind, I saw all my fears and I realised that I could sort of do anything if I really chose to and I really, and I really planned it properly and and um and who's from facing your fear at Waimea like yeah getting, it a, helped. getting a beat down it helped all those things like we were talking about earlier that you know once I had a 20 foot wave roll on top of me and I went well I okay, I'm a spiritual being I'm in this body I'm going to have this incredible <laughs> you know expansion of my lungs I'm going to be crying under there and praying to God or whatever but it, but you know you have this knowing that you're going to survive and um and we, have, we had some incredible experiences as well as these, you know, certain things that really, really helped shape me as a human for life. But it, it, once, you, once you crack open that fear coma um, in, in business or, or wherever you go, as long as you, as long as you, you know, have the right, you know, the right, the right tools and the right things keep coming at you, you can virtually do anything. I mean, why did Elon, Elon Musk... Why is Elon and you know, what's Branson doing? And what are, what are all these? What, what were they as kids? Okay, they might have been born into money. They might have had all this fortunate stuff happen to them. But I was born very poor in the western suburbs, and here I am running around doing this incredible blueprint, you know, global phenomenal brand called Patagonia. And I'm like sitting there one day going, "How the hell did I pull this off?" And it was because I got the fear out of the way. I got a lot of I got a lot of, a lot of clearing in my early twenties where. Um, in the end, I, I I really worked with my mind and and all the all the mental health stuff that's going on now <clears throat> is that all the pressures and all these things that are coming at these young men is because they think they're the mind. You're not the mm. mind. You're not the You're body. Not, yeah. You just this is a massive recording, and so when you get into the soul space, you're outside of the mind, and you're creating a third witness going, yeah, my mind's saying that. The head committee up here is saying this, but I'm going this way. Because I, I feel as if, and I have the awareness that this is the right way, and it's no, courage, and it's got to be you got to you got to you got to courageously kind of initiate yourself in the world in the most you know um, dynamic so way. Can, you can I kind of touch from what you're saying there on the whole idea of sort of manifestation and kind of like vision boards and stuff? Like, yeah. I mean, as a guy, I find vision boards kind of a little bit effeminate and a little bit sort of <laughs> Oprah Winfrey that kind of thing. <laughs> But but surely there is some um, validity in everybody taking that type of approach to what they want. I can masculinize your vision can you, board. Can you give me a because, masculine yeah, vision board? Yeah, I certainly can. I can give it to you right after this. So I created this this um, 
Trello board, which is a project management software, and it's for the Blissipline blueprint. Have you heard of the term Blissipline? No. So Blissipline was a term coined by Reverend Michael Beckwith, and it means like having the discipline to to be able to live your bliss. That's amazing. So I love that. like we know that the the key to freedom is discipline. And so if you can have discipline to to do the things to live your bliss, like not get caught up in the shorts and to actually live life because if mm. you're a workaholic, you've actually got to have the discipline to say, no, I'm not going off to go do this. And so I was like, how can I systemize this for people that don't want the woo-woo fucking yeah. manifestation vision board? And so it's a, it's a project management software um, tool with different cards underneath it where you can put in images of the things that you're working towards and break mm. down like, okay, what are you one to three? Board. Yep, digital vision board. Um, like what are your one to three year goals? What are your bigger picture? And then an actual act like milestones, like weekly milestones of yeah. how you can actually achieve picture of Jody Mears. Jody Mears can be right there, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah, you can have a picture of Jody right in that little the card. Board. Yep. Although and these days she's probably getting on a bit. <laughs> Look, uh, I still reckon she goes all right. Yeah. yeah, she's still very beautiful. Um, Hi, so, why, so can I ask why having the actual image? <clears throat> How does that why, – why is that better than just the I'm, idea of something? I'm going to bring it back to the Lotus. So when I first started in recruitment, um, I had to make a whole 100 cold calls a day. Like, and you'd make 100 cold calls and you'd be told to fuck off 99 times. <laughs> yeah. And, like, th- this is back in the days where I shared a shared office with Google. So you didn't really mm. Google things. You literally made – you had to look up the yellow pages and make the numbers yeah. call. Yeah. And I – that should wear you down. Yeah. <laughs> and so I used to drive past, I used to go past on the train, past Lotus on the way home every day. And I'm like, one day I'm buying one of those fucking cars. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to buy one. And so I cut a, a picture and I cut it out and I put it next to the phone. Every time I was told to fuck off, I'd be like, Lotus. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Mm. whatever. Like next. It. And I'd yeah. be like, yeah. just that little reminder. And it took me five years to buy it. I ended up buying a couple of other cars in between because I had a whole self-worth I should have just bought the Lotus. Like I bought a Monaro, did a whole bunch of coin on it yeah. um, just because I didn't feel like I actually deserved yeah. the Lotus. Um, but it was that visual reminder of pulling me forward and, and bringing it into reality. Like it's kind of like it's, I, could, I could touch it. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the vision boards work is it's that if you're, especially if you're a visual learner or like you need to see yeah. pictures to, to make it your reality. Oh, like Jody, yeah, bring that in. Um, it it's what it makes the connection in your brain for you because what you believe you can achieve. So if you're seeing it regularly and you and you do actually believe it, then you can call it forth. So can I just ask, in your opinion, is this the subconscious or is this something energetic and spiritual or is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both, but it's you know Henry Ford's quote like whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And so there's no point putting something on a vision board if subconsciously you think you're never going to be able to attain because you're never going to attain it. Yeah. Like when you put that thing on the board, you've got to have that belief that if you take the action, like you can't just sit there and go, mm, come on, yeah. universe. Like the chances of that happening. I believe yeah. that manifestation, I, I think I, did I mentioned to you that I manifested you into my – yeah, that was a bit weird. Yeah, that was a bit weird. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, Tinkles up the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did the same thing yesterday, and I'll talk about that in a minute. You, I don't believe you can just sit there and fucking pray to the universe and it's going to drop in your lap. Yeah. You've got to take the action. and But it's by having that clarity. Space, right? You've got to create, create the space. space. You've got to commit, make the commitment 
and you've got to have the belief. So when when I met you, you came and knocked on the van when I was doing a coaching call, but I'd had literally <laughs> been driving home from Byron that night Tommy. and I was like, oh, I really want to open, like I love doing like more conversational style podcasts and it's great when I interview. I really feel like I need some more surfing, bigger bigger picture surfing people in because I've been doing a lot of just business um, or business owners that surf but they're not in the surfing business. And yeah. I've got to think about that. I wonder who I could reach out to 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 collaborate with and like literally driving from Byron to Lennox, that's what my thought was. And no shit, the next day Danny banged on my van and he's like, hey, my name's Danny. I have like this radio show called <laughs> The Sandpit and uh, I've been looking at your podcast and I was thinking we could collaborate. I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. I didn't even know, like I hadn't, I've never listened to the radio I hadn't looked him up. I just went, Saul said, yeah. yeah. You're like, you you are here for a reason. Um, Stuck him in your manifesting web. Yeah. And he, he got drawn and in. And he just <laughs> popped in. And then on Monday or Tuesday, I was running a team meeting with my team. And I'm like, we're looking at the marketing strategy. And I'm like, okay, we just know if I get on and talk and I actually get to interact with people. Mm. Like the fucking social media posting and like putting ads on Facebook just energetically doesn't work for me. No. But like, and I just I have this, ugh, I don't like it. I said, let's, let's just go the strategy of let's just get me doing more podcasts, speaking on more things and plugging into other people's communities where I can serve and I'll just shop and serve. And I believe that'll happen. Yeah. And my, my, my guy that handles my socials and everything sent me a message in the morning. He's just like hashtag manifest. And he just sent these screenshots of rant, like people I've never connected with on LinkedIn sending connection requests. And he's written back, why do you do want to connect? And they're like, oh, we've seen you. We love your content. We think you could, like, could you come and speak on my podcast? Could you mm. present at my summit? Then another coach is like, hey, I'm doing a um, live event in Byron. Could you come and speak at it for me? I'm like, yeah. whoa. I'm sure old mate at Yeti is probably uh, going to be watching <laughs> this going, oh, yeah. I need Jay on our team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want me to come? I'd, I'd, like, come I'd, like, I'd like to add to that that, that there's this factor that you said about manifesting is that um, – I got this line which is nature's boss, and so we call it God, or we call it Creator, or whatever. But, <clears throat> but I do believe that we can manifest and we can create. But nature also has to meet you somewhere in the middle. So mm. that's it's a co-creation. So, and if if you know the the greatest problem with men's mental health or mental health, women's mental health, um, <clears throat> is that if we do dive into the spaciousness of the mind, then we just become pressed or we're open to taking on information that so like you said before is it that action that if we start just doing something that's the healing mechanism of depression is that you have acted and you've stepped mm. out of your mind and so what i'm saying before about this men's you know um initiation stuff that all these indigenous tribes do is that they get that they get them into action but they get them to see why their mind is working for them or against them and so so by having nature as the boss over there and you step into action and you start to get your business going, if you don't get up every morning with love and energy and the gas tank full to go ahead and act, then you're not getting your balance with nature and then you're out of balance with your business and you're not giving your business the juice that it needs to move forward. So this, this whole nature is boss thing is that then she puts on a show, she puts on the movie and says, well, today – this isn't working and this right is a wrong. So you've got to look that way. And so you interacting with the reality of this universe or this, you know, nature is boss thing 
as well as you as a soul, as a nature, creating this co-connection. And that's how you work your business life. And this is not going to go straight to an MBA, you know, kind of boardroom table going, this is how we're going to, you know, this is a type of <clears throat> balancing act you've got to have in your company where you have both types of conscious beings. Mm. You're going to have your robot you know, very high-end intellectual academics and then you're going to have these creative guys and they're both they're both going to be judging the shit out of each other and both kind of going to be hating each other because they're very different beings. But that's how I've seen all great companies work. Grind Singer and, and Paul Warbrick, Doug Warbrick, super creative, super spiritual and then you've got this kind of driven businessman, you know, Alan Green, John Law from Quicksilver, you know. They're both one very considered, very sensitive, making all the, you know. And so... This combination um, is, is to me, is where I've seen all the great companies succeed is mm. because they've had the creativity the and, and all the yin <laughs> and the yang. It's the yin and the yang and, and the feminine and masculine and, you know, and, and but typically what I've seen a lot is that, you know, the masculine are, you know, jumping in and trying to control one part of the business where as a leader and as a manager and what I did is I protected both aspects because they're both as important as each other. You crazy animal sales guy over there, you go get them and kill them and rip their heads off and whatever, you know, which is contrary to what I said before. But <laughs> but also the, you know, the 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 marketing, you know, um, juicy, sensitive, sincere kind of, you know, person over here. Protect them. Protect both aspects and both channels. Like the male and the female, they create a being. It's called a business. And so that in the end gets and I love it how as soon as you said nature's boss, Started raining a little bit. Yeah, it did. Does nature want us out of her, out of her, you know, Yeah, maybe nature decided to call the podcast. It's all done. All done. We'll need to get him back, though, because I need to hear the story of riding the Zodiac, the Zodiac flipping over and getting punished. So we I could do it real quick if you wanted the Go on. Yeah, okay. Perfect. So, yeah, basically... Wayne and I got a couple of tow boards from um, uh, the guy in Hawaii, anyway, long story short, and we thought we'd trial them out. And we had, um, I had a jet ski, Wayne had a little Zodiac boat, and it was called Savage Sunday, and everyone was surfing this right-hand breaker. It was, you know, 20 foot, and we went to this bomb here, which was, you know, 20, 25 feet. It was huge, and we um, we actually had Andrew Kidman with us, and, and Kate Kidman was documenting it, and... Um, we, we pulled the litmus, up. Litmus, right? Yeah, he, he, he did Litmus and a lot of other films. Amazing filmmaker. And we came and parked the boat, which was meant to be the channel. And so me and Wayne jumped on the scheme. We went out and uh, I started towing Wayne. And um, Wayne Wayne's first wave, he basically he took a very small one, which was on this outer bombing, and, and it didn't quite break properly. And he ended up just standing out in the middle of nowhere. And I've turned around after towing him and I'm sitting out in the channel looking at this 25-foot crumbling avalanche of whitewater coming down. Andrew Kidman's just sort of concentrating on his screwing his <laughs> his um, uh, waterproof case on his on his camera, him looking up. And it's just this, you know, like car crash moment, you know, where everything could just slow down. And I was like, oh, my God, look at this. So the wave mows Andrew as he dives over the side. Wayne's inside in the impact zone, got mowed by a 25-foot wave. And I'm sitting on this jet ski going, oh, my God. God, I'm just now in charge of one hell of a train wreck, like a complete disaster. So I had to zoom around around the back and um, 
pick up Wayne and he's screaming at me and get Kidman and and we unhooked the the boat off the well it broke off the anchor and we had to basically throw Wayne in the boat and Wayne's literally rowing over the back of these huge waves just to get out of the way and I'm fanging in getting Kidman throwing him on the boat get Wayne hook a rope on the front and we all putter back to this tiny little boat ramp in the middle of nowhere and and I'm sitting there going oh no this is like that was just the worst thing that ever happened and I look at Wayne and he's ran up to the car got a rope in one hand runs back down with a new spark plug puts go it again. in throws us a musical bar each and he goes let's go and, just, <laughs> and I'm like no no we nearly died. Going, no 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 we're not doing this Wayne no 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 this is like he goes let's go it's perfect out there so we yeah, we virtually we'll anchor further out. Yeah, <laughs> we went out, and this time, yeah, we anchored right out the back. Um, and yeah, we had the the best towing session of my life. It was unbelievable. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, sure enough, the camera didn't work because it got a bit of got a bit of moisture in it. And um, photos. People want to see out, like some footage of that. Is there anything? There's uh, nothing. No, the camera um, got fucked. Oh, it right, it, it yeah. basically was a very private little way. Yeah. It was one. Of, it's called Wayne. It's called Lynchy's Bommy. Wayne surfed it in the uh, 70s, you know, <laughs> 20 feet, and Wayne's a, a complete madman. And I'm not a I'm, – I'm a sort of control madman freak or whatever, but um, I'll have a go at it. But uh, he was he was on another level. He's extraordinary. But that was, yeah, to this day what I would probably say we probably all should have died or we all should have yeah. got washed into the cliffs and it's around – Touching those go. big old sandstone cliffs, but yeah, we're all here to tell the story with Jade at uh, Barrels and Business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how to survive quite a barrel. <laughs> a story of survival. Yeah, survival. survival. Yeah, so they're all they're all kind of pinnacle. You know, um, you know, you trans you tr- you're transmuting that. It's um, you know, getting around all these fears which hold us back. You know, yeah, like the, the fear coma. I like that. Yeah, that one. Fear coma. I don't remember that one. The yeah. Fear coma. Yeah. yeah, and look, there's a guy in the barrel getting towed. Yeah, <laughs> as Pete Mel at Chopu. I've got the image oh, reversed oh, on the reversed. other side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a right. That's a big oh, I know. It's roast people. But he if you go on, a bit like me, should we put a little beard? I reckon. On him and- <laughs> do you know the amount of people that have said to me, "Why haven't you got yourself on there? Why don't you just superimpose yourself?" I'm like, because then I'll like pull up a D bar. Paddle out. Everyone see me get out of the van, and then I fucking cook it. And they're going to be like, <laughs> yeah. "You know." So yeah, yeah. no, we've, uh, uh, we've got Pete Mel on the van, yes, inspiring us to charge oh, he hard. He's amazing, that guy. Um, yeah. yeah, do you watch that? Um, yeah. The Mavericks one, yeah. Yeah, he is incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's been fantastic. It's been a really yeah. great little uh, camp, 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 camping out, camping out, camping yeah. out here with, with, with the Eddie. Wait, you haven't, um, you haven't done the plug. Oh, I haven't done the plug. Well, I want to do. I actually want to do where you get to see a little bit of the case man in action. I actually have. I was in. I was in Mick, Mick Waters' film called Outdated Children and it shows this aspect of my life, which is I'm an adventure junkie. Yeah, I, very nice. I hit the road. So go and check out Out Outdated Children, the film, Mick Waters. And can we um, crack one of these guys for yeah. the pure sky? He's, he's already gone. Yeah. Well, I already have. I mean, it's what is it's after And these were chilled by now. the boys from Yeti over there. Um, yep. And uh, Pure Scott, um, great uh, Pry Family Foundation, give me millions of dollars a year away to environmental causes and foundations and dot orgs and whatever. So thank you, Pure Scott, for a big heart. Hardy, thank you. Thank you, Yeti. Yeah. And, yeah, thanks, Patagonia, for the education. You're all great. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. <laughs> Woo. I wanted to ask you a couple more questions around yeah. um, when you were talking about the tribes mm. and, like, 
what's like what's the modern day equivalent of what, what can we do? <clears throat> like, yeah. can't, we're not allowed to like take them out and throw spears at them anymore. So nah, mm. true. Well, there's a, there's <laughs> a there's an incredible guy. It's called Anna Rubenstein, and he does a fully natural. Um, it's called it's like a men's work workshop, um, but he's out the back of. He's his sort of main arm area, but he's gone global. He's like he's killing it, and his whole approach is <clears throat> it's a father and son thing. He thinks a lot of the mm. disconnect is that fathers demasculinize yep. their boys; and they turn them into little chicks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the mums do too. You know, they're too they're too overpowering. So this this kind of feminine molly coddling, yeah, yeah, cotton wool, yeah. cotton wool budding, and then mum does that, and then dad comes in. And tells him he's a fucking soft cock and he's got to play, you know, rugby and break his neck and, you know. So anyway, long, long, long story short is, is that <clears throat> they build this communication back together through five nights of sitting around campfires and, you know, just, just and crying and cuddling and mm. saying how much I love you. And it all comes down into this one important factor in life is, is intimacy. They bring in the intimacy of the, the two men back together. And it's, you know, a lot of suicide is, you know, you know, what am I sexually? Where's my gender? What, yeah. what, what thoughts and feelings and stuff did my parents influence? And so there's a lot of, you know, people that are, you know, really struggling with their own sexuality and, and their, their pressures of the father. Mm. I say one of the, you know, it's, it's, there's lots of arms off the, the word pressure, but depression is, yeah. is, this, is this constant flow of negative judgments on themselves. They're not good enough and then they go and jump off a cliff. Because, yeah. And then some kid just triggers it at school and says, you know, you're fucking this and you're fucking hairs like that. Yeah. And then they run off and kill themselves. And yeah. it's and it's just this ever-increasing. But back in my day, yeah, we dropped a shitload of LSD and we were on this spiritual <laughs> search and we found, you know, and there was moments where it got completely freaky and scary, but essentially I was working with this sort of shamanic guy that was – teaching me about my mind and the universe and where we're from and, mm-hmm. you know. And so I had this great connection with my soul and it set me up for my life. And I didn't fear much after that because I'm like, oh, fucking spirit. Okay, I'll leave my body and I go, you know. Yeah. And so surfing became, you know, very much a, um, a vehicle for finding my manhood, mm. finding my man, you know, becoming man. Yeah, yeah well, that because experience, was, that Savage Sunday, it sounds like an initiation thing, doesn't it? It was. Yeah. It is. It's like a yeah. – it's, it's Your why me a story sounded like a – yeah, okay. yeah. Have you heard that one? No. Oh. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, Another 20 foot beat down. The drowning. Snowcase has had a few. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I, I, I essentially died. So I oh. went underwater and, and um, gave up. Basically gave up. And so I went into that, that kind of, um, into that space that I'd call in between this world and the next world. And, and it was, I completely let go. It was beautiful. You know, I just went into this dream. Okay, let go. Okay, you're drowning. And I had this one thought in my mind that actually a famous lifeguard over there, Derek Dorner, said to me, <coughs> whatever you do, son, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. And I had this thing in my brain and that was all that was rotating. Yeah, stop was drinking it? the don't water. drink the water. <laughs> the mantra. So, yeah. So I, I stopped. I, I just I left. Stayed with that. But then I was <laughs> like. <laughs> be my next paddle out. Don't drink yeah. the water. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so yeah, I survived a, you know, almost two wave hold down, um, kind of popped up next one, just mowed me. And then 
basically went into another one of those and then came up and somehow survived it. But it, it taught me a lot, a lot of things. But the, And all that other big wave stuff came out of, you know, um, like I said, there's a fear coma around every experience that you have in your life and the desires and, 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 and the, the passions that we're creating that keep us happy and driven in this world is that everything around it has some aspects of positivity and negative and fear and, you know, um, and so, yeah, I was slowly breaking down <clears throat> all those things, what you call in the surfing paradigm, slowly breaking down the most extreme edge of myself and finding my manhood in, in amongst all that, as you said, you know, having that initiation into this. You've talked a bit about um, like the men's mental health and stuff. Are you doing some work in that space? And well, I, you- I, I definitely, again, like I was dyslexic when I was a young kid and I definitely went through um, – solid a really solid bout of men's mental health in my 20s and I didn't even know what it was but I had all sorts of um I came out of the western suburbs chased by skinheads you know people beat you up and and you know come from poor family into talker into this beautiful little cosmic fantasy world where you just go (laughs) surfing and sit around fires on the beach and and I still had this residue of this old life and um and 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 behavioural trauma. impressions and trauma from mum mm. and dad. Um, essentially my, my father, I suppose, who was <clears throat> a pretty aggressive dad, um, wonderful man, but just had a flick switch because he, um, he was orphaned. Yeah, all his own story. And as you grow, you understand it and, mm. you know, um, don't judge him for it. But <clears throat> I had to grow to get to that point. For a long time I, I never forgave him and, you know, didn't really think much of him at times, you know. But... But in the end, I found my own manhood through loving him and forgiving him and actually embracing the, the masculine in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. even though I was doing all these incredible um, things to prove to him that I was a man. Yeah. And I, I am a man, but <clears throat> um, I felt like he sort of, in a way, feminised me, gave, mm-hmm. me a, gave me a sort of a something to think about, you know, something to process um, in a world where... Alpha male is seen as the most important thing becoming a man is to get to look like you're a you know, tough guy kind of, you know. And I was never that guy. I was always. I was. Um, you were. I, yeah. grew, I grew up that way. My dad's an ex-mercenary. Is he? Yeah, and I grew yeah. up in the Austinville Caravan Park. So, right, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. so I had a shaved head. Yeah. And yeah. if someone gave me lip, yeah. we'd give him a smack. Down. Give him a smack, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I so learned you boxing. The other way, you were kind of pretty heavily masculinized, yeah. whereas Casey's yeah. feminized. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I grew I, up with my dad was a single dad too. So yeah, right. And so, and I, I went and learned boxing. I became a good boxer, and you know, I slapped a few people, and it didn't feel good. And and it was, it was all these things that I was, I was adding certain kind of clothing to my coloring as a soul, as a human being. Essentially, I was born pretty sensitive, and you know, whatever, whatever. And my dad did that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went into protection and fear mode and went, okay, I'll go and, you know, you know, learn how to smack heads and look like a tough guy. But I don't know that I'm still soft and gentle. And, mm. and so, um, and then I went, oh, I can prove I can be, you know, ride 20 foot waves. And so underneath that, I was shitting myself the whole way. But in the end, I achieved it and found some calm and some peace in it. But in the end, you know, um, we're all a bit of both. We're all a bit of male, we're all a bit of female. And, and there's a, there's a, um, there's a balance there as in business and who we are as people. You know, there's mm. a feminine aspect to a business, there's a masculine, there's a, you know, there's an aggressive, there's a passive. But in the end, if you let your soul 
assert, you know, the your your energetics and your truthfulness and your honesty, and you get through life very quickly. You don't have to fuck around talking, you know, crap to someone because you think you're going to hurt their feelings. You just say, "Hey, this, this is how it is. is. This is how it is for me." Yeah. And and in the old days, I might have been a bit talking like that. Oh, you're a fucking idiot. You know, get tough. You see, you know. And I was in this fake, you know, representation of what I call wounded man. And in the end, I think I've become a product of divine man. I think there's a there's a there's a man out there that's in check and in balance with it all. You know, so you know, um, <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, that's my cleaner. So. Now you've got a do- now you've got a daughter. Yeah, so now I'm masculinising like- her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, she's she's very. I like me to play. Yeah, I started. Yeah, I started. Like an, I started an American football league for women. <laughs> Did you like? Oh, you're a legend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, when I was like, when I stopped surfing, I decided I'd you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seemed like a good yeah. idea at the time. <laughs> no, no. I got a daughter who's they yeah. do, not in the lingerie. That's what they do in America, isn't it? They have the women's football league. They all wear lingerie. I'm yeah. uh, going to drink some more drink now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think a man, yeah, I think a man should be proud of his. I don't think it, I don't think do it anymore. But. You know, it's not necessarily. They do. They do. <clears throat> oh God. But Mitch Mortaza, the commissioner, got banned from Australia. That's why they don't have it here anymore. Yeah. I don't quite get it. I mean, I do get. It. I don't get how how it is a thing. How it makes it through all of the politically correct sort of barriers in society. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. How does yeah, it, yeah. To be honest, I don't know how we got it through either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It I works. assert my right as a female to run around in my underwear. Yeah. <laughs> and tackle yeah, yeah, yeah. things. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Um, we're like, the podcast is finished, but I had more yeah, questions yeah, for you. Yeah. I'm just going to um, sit here and think about the, the lingerie. Okay, um, you football. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, I just really found it interesting when you were talking about, like, we are not our, like, we're not our mind, we're not our yeah. ego, we're, yeah. uh, we're not our body. Yeah. Um, have you read the un- – oh. Goodness, what have I got here? Yeah. <laughs> um, have you read The Untethered Soul or what? Is there anything there? Like you kind of talked about like the observer and yeah. there's some stuff there that touches a lot on the spiritual stuff that I've Yeah, I've, I've not read The Untethered Soul, but it's been on my bucket list. Um, I've heard it's an amazing book. But, um, yeah, in my work, um, one of the main things that in that psychoactive LSD period was that um, I, I had a complete – awakening kind of in my mid-20s where I had to uh, to survive I actually had to see the my mind was in in one of the experiences my mind was so brutally nasty and and you know telling me I was I actually had what I call my soul come out and talk talk to me I had my first meeting with my intuitive my what I call this completely different voice my mind going and this other voice is going I'm your soul Follow me. I'm your, you know, I'm your divine. Um, uh, you know, just serve me, and everything mm. will be okay. And I had this. Oh, I, th- I thought I was schizophrenic because I'm like, geez, I'm hearing two voices here. What's yep. going on? <laughs> and um, and uh, you're not the mind. You're not the body. You're the spirit soul that is eternal. And you will, you know, if you if you. And so it was like a, a <clears throat> and and I realized it wasn't the body, and I wasn't this little record player that was running off. But I went through life. You know, having moving into those spacious moments where I was thinking, "Oh, I'm just intuitive," and I'll, I, but I got really spacey, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually use the skill set or the tools that I had, which is your mind's a tool. And so, 
to activate your mind and to be fully in the livingness of the world, the mind is a product of this thing called Maya. You know, it's the material world. And so you've got to engage the mind because it's a product of this world. It lives here. So you use your mind to run your life and your your energy and who you are. And so so my my mind is my great friend. A lot of people say, oh, mind is enemy. Mind is, you know. Ego no. is enemy. E- Ego's enemy. E- rather than reading a book, I think Casey's about to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, when is yeah, the book? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm on the like, I'm pre <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, and so it's um, it's becoming the you know in, in a lot of the great spiritual practices they talk about becoming third witness. So yeah. the soul is witnessing whether you're in the body or out of the body. The, the the soul is witnessing everything that's going on here in nature's reality, and then it's witnessing the mind. And so the third witness is making the objective call on what your mind is saying to you and what life is saying to you. And you can then make a choice. Because if you just live in the answer of your mind, your mind's just giving you the same answers all day, every day. You don't live in the question. So every 10 seconds you can make a choice and say, here's what I'm questioning you about. So I'm going to ask a question and change reality. You can change and keep creating and making these things um, yeah, completely. Um, you don't just buy into what the, sh- the shit in your mind's trying to tell you. So the that's critic. your third witness, the critic. Yeah, the critic. And and uh, critic. and that's yeah, and that's <laughs> in the end. Your, I can imagine you beat the shit out of your critic. <laughs> I can yeah. you got your critic up bitch. by the throat right. against the wall. <laughs> Rotating chicken with your dad. Yeah, no. I, I, I see you. Yeah. No, I used to call because I, I call my 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 mind the committee. So mm. you've got the you know, the dark side of the committee and you've mm. got the guys that kind of want to help you and do the right thing. But basically it is a group of um, pretty wacky fucking memories that ain't really going to keep you in the flow state and in the creative state because all of this is your nature being completely manifesting, completely uh, creating um, a, a dynamic, incredible, um, uh, authentic and brand new um, appearances in the world. So your soul can come up with something that's not in the marketplace, but it's unique to you and unique mm. to your story that you will penetrate into the world and it becomes a child of you, mm. not somebody else's bullshit. You know, I'm going to take on their product and make, yeah. I'm going to sell it at 20 and make 15 bucks. No, I'm going to start, I'm going to start at the bottom of the supply chain and, and make 120 bucks. You know, I'm going to sell that esky at 500 bucks, but I'm going to make the whole fucking profit. I don't want to work for the man anymore. I want to work for my creative mm-hmm. essence so I can do the whole thing. So, yeah, make great Yeti rugs or make make board covers out of, you know, uh, you see, <laughs> mushrooms. You see, I love, I love <laughs> I had too just, much of. <laughs> well, did you see my board cover in the van? I've got um, I've got a recycled water bottle oh, fantastic. Um, cover on my tacky. Um, up and up, sitting is, up in the roof it, of it. Is it not from um, it's, it Mexican, it's, a girl that makes Mexican? No, that's no, Louise. From, I know Louise. Louise, yeah. This is yeah, just yeah, from Surfboard Warehouse. So I Shout met Louise to, the other night because her boyfriend lives down the road here and she's making these, yeah, where's the, it's from Surfboard Warehouse. Yeah, yeah mine's like um, literally Louise's from, hand knitting them and doing all this yeah, amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe you can connect me. Uh, I will, yeah. I'm trying to think what it's, it's called, her name of, uh, it means the ocean in Spanish. Uh, yeah. Del, Del Mar? No, something like that. Yeah, I think she's, what, she Chinese? She, uh, she, she's, uh, uh, what is she, Chinese, Australian, parents she's, are Chinese, yeah. um, but she lived in Mexico for three years in a van. Wow. Australian born. She lived in a van in Mexico yeah. for three years with her sister, twin sister, and then decided to, to start her own um, 
Yeah, like she's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, it's a board cover, board socks. Yep. Made from her contacts in Mexico. Oh, artisan, yeah, yeah. artisan type. Artisan, like, yeah, they make up their yeah. own fabrics, and then she imports the fabrics, knits them up, and so yeah, I just met her the other night. But that she'd be fascinating Sweet. to talk yeah. to because she's a startup business. Well, also <laughs> Caroline Catherine on uh, from Marta Collective yeah. in Lennox. Yeah. So her, all of her, it's good to do them both because they're both basically be. taking stuff direct yeah. from a uh, third a world country. Way. Yeah. Um, it's a vertical. It's like a what are you yeah. saying? Like a vertical retailing. Yeah, it's vertical but from, retailing. Yeah. <clears throat> from um, uh, you know a village yep, to the to consumer. Yeah. Yep. So vertical retailing's from design right through supply chain. What's well, your supply chain right to retail? Yeah. So it's the creative mind product, you know, in the manufacturing, it goes to wholesale, retail, and it goes to your own shop. So your own vertical retailing yeah. is having your own okay. flagship store um, that says Patagonia. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's true vertical operational activity. Yeah. It's a dream. Yeah. Market. yeah. All right, nature looks like it's started oh, to. Here she comes. Here she comes again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mean. We better pack I don't know if I <laughs> Oh, no, I was going to. Hey there, Barrel Chasing business owners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.